Amen. I'm thankful for Brother Gay Hart and Sister Gay Hart. You know, they've been such good... Amen. <laughs> We're thankful for the example that they've given us over the years and their faithfulness to Jesus Christ and to the message of the gospel. And, you know, when I... I well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. But, uh, yeah, I just, I am thankful for for Christ, all he's done for us. That's true. Your testimony, uh, good testimony, somewhat similar to, to uh, mine, how he helped us. Well, if you have uh, your Bibles tonight, uh, go ahead and turn to the first chapter of Matthew. I apologize to anybody that's uh, been coming up to uh, Rocky Fork to hear me preach. You might hear this message again. So I'm sure it won't be exactly the same, uh, but I am going through and studying the book of Matthew just little by little. And it's amazing how, you know, you, you can have heard... Multiple messages preached on the book of Matthew. You could have read it through uh, many times. And like as you go through and study it, again, verse kind of verse by verse, uh, carefully, you, just so much more comes out. And so tonight I'm going to uh, be going through a study here, the first 17 verses of Matthew and quite honestly, if you're like me, these are probably the verses that you've skipped over many, many times to get on with the story. Um, but, you know, and this, this was a test, too, as I was studying, to not skip over these verses. Because, as you'll see here in just a little bit, there's a lot in these verses. And when you're reading, it's like, oh, that's just a bunch of names, but there's a lot believe it or not, in these verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first, uh, actually, before I even get to the first 17 verses, maybe I should look at my notes and see what I was going to say. Um, so I gave a, an introduction, um, it's been probably a couple months ago to the book of Matthew, maybe three, four months ago, uh, just kind of a brief refresher. Uh, remember, Matthew is uh, one of the chosen disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not even really introduced to him until the ninth chapter of his book. So he has a lot to say before he ever says anything about himself. He's got a lot to say about Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, we know that Matthew was a tax collector, and that's where most of us probably... That's all we ever knew of Matthew was that he was a tax collector. But <clears throat> did you know that he was Jesus and probably most of the disciples' personal tax collector? Now, he's not, a, you know, he, he's not their tax agent. He's not doing their taxes. He's the one that when they would step off the boat there in uh, Capernaum after they had a wonderful day of fishing and and he would say, okay, now, you know, 10% of that's mine, and I want it right now. Or, uh, you know, the tax collector was not a well-beloved person in the uh, Jewish world because they were collecting those taxes, sometimes way over-collecting them, and sending their portion to Rome to support 
idolatry, paganism, to support the oppression of the uh, Jewish people. So often in the New Testament, you'll hear that phrase, you know, tax collectors and sinners, or sinners and tax collectors. So they couldn't, they, they were the, considered the scum of the earth. You know, and here, this is who Matthew was, yet Jesus goes to Matthew, uh, certainly in front of that whole uh, crowd there, and chooses him to be one of his disciples. So he not only saves Matthew, transforms his life, but he also uh, makes him one of his followers. And then I always think that's got to be a a good lesson in forgiveness. It's no wonder many times we hear the disciples arguing over who was the greatest. Well, I'm sure that that was hard for these disciples to have to, you know, walk every day with the person who had oppressed them for, you know, all these all these years likely. So, this is who's writing the Gospel of Matthew, someone who uh, Jesus Christ had transformed his life. So what a better person than to tell the story, you know, of, of Jesus. So we have to remember, before we get into these 17 verses here, that, you know, when the book of Matthew was originally written, that he was speaking to people all over the then-known world that maybe had heard an incomplete story of this Jesus. You know, they may have known uh, that he... Uh, had died on a cross. Um, They may have known a little bit about his teachings, but probably didn't know too much about Jesus, especially if they had lived far away from Jerusalem, or even if they were, you know, a Gentile that became a believer. So, So Matthew is telling us, he's painting a picture here in this first chapter, really, of who Jesus Christ was, how he came into this world, and exactly why he came into this world. Uh, If you can imagine, probably a lot of people when uh, Matthew said, oh, by the way, I have a Savior, he was was convicted as a a common criminal, you know, he was hung on a cross and killed, and, and that's our Savior. Can you imagine that there were probably a few people that had some questions? So Matthew is going to start answering those questions by showing us the life that Jesus lived here on this earth. So, Matthew chapter 1, first 17 verses. I'm going to be reading out the English Standard Version. Uh, so, if you got that on your phone, uh, English Standard Version is what I'm reading out of. So, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz of, by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, 
and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, verse 11 here, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of, father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, or to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, just I want to point something out here uh, before we get started and go too far, and it seems like something simple, but maybe it's something you've never heard before. But uh, we think when we hear Jesus Christ in the Bible that uh, that's like first and last name, okay? That's not what Jesus Christ is. Uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name, most people back in the Old Testament days did not have a, a last name, per se. You might be known, uh, you, you, for instance, you hear Jesus of Nazareth. So you might be that Jesus, the one that comes from Nazareth. Uh, you might be known uh, like Simon the Tanner. You, know, you might be known by your occupation. You know, there were different ways. You also hear of... Uh, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, the son of Jonah, okay? So, uh, when you hear Jesus Christ, that's not how you would necessarily address an envelope to him. Christ is, a, uh, is an office. It's, it's, uh, it's a position. It's, it's a title, okay? So, when we're saying Jesus, Jesus is his name, Christ is title, okay? And also it really means is it, it comes from the uh, Greek, it's anointed one, and it's synonymous, if you went back to Hebrew, to Messiah. So really what Matthew opens up with here is that this is a book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's what he's telling us here, okay? So we notice, we make three basic observations when we read that list. Hopefully I didn't lose anybody. I'm sure I lost a lot of <laughs> Has anybody else uh, skipped over that part? Yeah, probably all of us. But what three observations can we make? Well, Matthew here, he's just given us a big, long list of names, which some of them we may recognize, and he calls this the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, second observation here is he takes special care to make sure that we know that first, that Jesus is the son of David, and he's also, second, the son of Abraham. 
And then the third observation is down in verse 17, we see that, or we see that uh, Matthew becomes suddenly fascinated with the number 14 and three pivotal events in Israel's history leading up to the Christ, namely Abraham, David, and the, and the uh, deportation to Babylon. Okay? So in our quest today, we're going to find out more about who this Jesus Christ is that Matthew's talking about. And we're going to do that by addressing those three things that I just said Matthew brings out in all of those names, in those 17 verses. So first, let's, let's think about a little bit about why it's important here that this Christ, this Messiah, be the son of David and the son of Abraham. So first, uh, you don't have to turn there, but the son of David, there was a promise back in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, where God, believe it or not, is after uh, you know, David he had even sinned, God promises David that he will raise up for him an offspring and establish his throne forever. However, when you read that reference, you know, we, we now know that that's a reference to, to Jesus, but it gets a little muddy because it talks about uh, an offspring that would sin. We know that Jesus didn't sin, but we know that Solomon did sin. So there, as you read through the Old Testament, oftentimes the references are very cloudy to start out with, and then they start to clear up and clear up and clear up until you get to references like Isaiah 11, the first 10 verses of that. Um, and then as the house of David's going into Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah, he proclaims in uh, chapter 23, verse 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, again, David, he, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So from that, all those people standing there then knew that none of the people up to the point Jeremiah spoke those words was the Messiah. So David didn't fulfill it, Solomon didn't fulfill it, and all those kings up to 600 B.C. had not yet fulfilled it. And you know, we get, I think, in our day and age pretty uh, anxious about our, the times that we live in, and can you imagine uh, if those who lived in the Old Testament times, they knew that this Messiah was coming in some way, shape, or form. They knew that he would be coming from the line of David. And can you imagine every king that came from the line of David, these people watching, is this it? Is this the Messiah? Is, is this the king that's going to save us? And, you know, that's going to restore Israel and restore us back to God? And can you imagine the letdown again and again and again and again? To the point now, they're off in the, in the deportation to Babylon. I just can imagine that that would have been a heartbreaking experience back then. But maybe it shed some light on our experiences today, too. Those people had to have great patience and us too, we need to have great patience, you know, in the days that we live in. Just as, as the Lord was taking care of those people, He too will take care of us. 
So he had to be the son of David. That was prophesied. It was also prophesied that the Messiah would be the son of Abraham. And so this is what Matthew is saying. So he is the son of David and the son of Abraham. So we know that the Messiah had to come from the nation of Israel. He had to be a Jew. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God promised Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, that in your offspring, or if you're reading the King James Version, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Thus, this promised blessing to all the nations, we knew it had to be a person. It was going to be an offspring. It was going to be a seed, but just not any. It had This offspring, this person, this Messiah had to be from that line of Abraham. Now, does something seem strange to you when, when Matthew says he's going to be the son of David and the son of Abraham? I don't know. When I, when I read that, I always want to flip them around in my mind. You know, Abraham, David, because Abraham comes before David, right? But here we see Matthew, and in many instances, he's highlighting David the king, David the king, David the king. He's really highlighting that king portion again and again. And here, they, the, they believe, you know, Matthew specifically put... David first, and then listed Abraham. It's interesting, you know, when the Jews in the New Testament, they were arguing with Jesus, they never said, we're sons of of David. We're sons of David. They always said, no, we're sons of Abraham. That's what they were proud of here. But Matthew flips that on its head, and he says he is a, a son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. He puts Abraham second. Now, you'll see as we go through, again, Matthew is, he's introducing us to King Jesus. Jesus, the king, the rightful ruler of this new spiritual kingdom that is uh, being set up. So now, let's, let's start looking at this uh, long list of names. Long list of names. I'm not going to go through all of them again, but would you be surprised if I told you that this is one of the most troublesome and contested portions of of Scripture? Did did anybody, has anybody ever heard that? Did you know that? I can't say I, I always knew that, but let's look. I just want to flip back and forth. So, if you have that little uh, marker, you can put that in Matthew chapter 1. And then I want you to flip over to Luke, the third chapter. If you've torn that thing accidentally out of your Bible, just put your finger there, I guess. But Luke, the third chapter. I'll show you why this is a problematic list of names. Okay. So Luke, third chapter, 31st verse. Okay, 31st verse. There it is. Okay. So the the son of Mela, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Okay, so Luke says Jesus the Christ, he came through the line of Nathan, the son of David. Now flip back over to Matthew chapter 1. And let's see what Matthew said again, because we may have missed it. Verse 6, 
and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's look at another one. So let's flip back to Luke 3.23. 3.23. So now it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Okay, so then flip back to chapter 1 here in Matthew, and we're going to look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Okay, so wait a minute. These lists aren't going together, are they? That's a problem. Okay. Well, some people have solved that problem quite easily. They've dismissed the Scripture. Just didn't happen. You know, Matthew or Luke, one of them's lying. We don't know who it is, but you know, can't be trusted anyways. They just dismissed it. But there are, and that's not the only issue there. If you noticed, uh, you know, there's a lot more names in uh, Luke's list. He lists 77 names. Now, he does go all the way back to Adam. You say, okay, 77 names. You know, but he's, he's covering a longer period of time. Well, Matthew, though, he in the same period of time that Matthew and Luke cover, Luke gives 57 names, and Matthew, he gives 41 names. You know, we also know in Matthew's list, when we're reading through those kings, if we compare that, you know, to the uh, books of Chronicles and Kings, that there's some kings that we know are missing there. There was an intermarriage in the nation of uh, Judah, so the southern kingdom that was uh, remained faithful where the uh, the temple of God was there in Jerusalem. Um, there was an intermarriage between them and the house of Omri, the the uh, kings of the northern kingdom that were uh, that were not faithful to God. And Matthew just dismisses those kings. They were they are there in other parts of the Bible, but Matthew dismisses them. So one explanation, uh, you could just say, well, the Bible's not telling the truth. Somebody messed it up. But there are a couple other explanations that, that could potentially explain it. One of the most popular, and as I was doing this study, I was like, okay, you know, I, I don't think that I, I, I agree with explanation number one. But then the more I, more I hear about it, then I'm like, maybe I do agree with explanation number one. But one explanation is that, and this is probably the most common, many of you probably heard this if you knew about this controversy, that Joseph, or I'm sorry, that the genealogy that's being told by Luke is coming through Mary, okay? And then the genealogy that's being told by Matthew is coming through uh, coming through Joseph, okay? So both sides of the family was related to King David. Um, that's one explanation, and, and that's been given many times, been defended by, by people that uh, know a lot more about the Bible than I do and, and well defended. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few reasons. It easily and quickly explains that. 
Uh, Luke, when he's telling his story, he's, he's really telling it heavy from Mary's perspective. Uh, Matthew, when he's telling the story of Jesus Christ, he's telling it heavy from, uh, from Joseph's perspective. That's one reason maybe to believe that. Uh, later on uh, in, in the kingdom, uh, one's Jewishness was actually uh, determined by if your mother was Jewish. So that's one reason to, to maybe believe that. But there's other problems with that. There's still a lot of people that seems to be missing there. We know that Matthew specifically missed people. So there is another explanation. This is the one that, that I, I felt like it made the most uh, sense in explaining this. And that is that Matthew is giving a legal or a royal genealogy while Luke is giving a physical, a biological genealogy. Okay? So the Jews, when they would uh, want to make a connection with a, with a royal line, it was common in their literature to tie stuff back through just a general genealogy back to uh, the back to King David or whoever they're trying to tie that back to. Um, and a lot of times they would give little clues that they were doing this. One would be what they called annotations. So if you notice, he talks about Jeconiah and his brothers, Judah and his brothers, and he talks about um, you know David, the king, and, and uh, there's some other, other little annotations, extra notes that give you an indication that maybe there's more to this genealogy than just meets the eye. Also, Matthew, he, he specifically, right in the beginning, he's, he's telling us the scope of this genealogy is to prove that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, okay? So he's limiting the scope. So it's kind of telling us that, you know, maybe that is true. Maybe he is giving just this royal genealogy making the point that Jesus Christ is connected to these kings, whereas Luke, you know, is giving that longer physical, biological genealogy. Um, Some say, okay, well now, one more problem to to solve. Why why does Joseph have two fathers? Certainly, certainly Matthew and Luke would have known who Jesus' grandfather was. And again, a couple explanations. One could be that his grandfather had two names. Now, there are other people in the Bible that, that had two different uh, names. Uh, John Mark, you know, Saul, also known as Paul. So that's one explanation. Another would be that uh, perhaps Joseph's father, uh, you know, there was what was called leveret marriage back then. So if you're uh, if a man married a uh, a woman, did not have children with that woman, but then died, the law said that really the brother was supposed to marry that woman. Any children born in that relationship would have a biological father, but they would have a legal father that was not the biological father. It would be that deceased man's children and they would get whatever was coming to that deceased man. So that's another potential explanation. So we don't have to trash the Scripture to describe what's going on here. That's a very dangerous thing to do. I like somebody said, you know, when 
I run into something I don't understand in Scripture. I, I either I, I pray that the Lord would help me to understand that uh, item in Scripture, or I will just have to accept it as as truth and go on. So we have to be very careful, you know, not to dismiss Scripture. So there are explanations for the differences. Don't don't be troubled by that. So when we get to the the end here, we see clearly that Matthew likes the number 14. This might be one of the reasons he also liked that royal genealogy, because it got him to 14, 14, 14. Again, reasons why. You know, why does he like this number? Some say, well, it's because it was an important number to the Jews, because they listed Uh, 14 high priests from Aaron to the first temple, and then from that first temple to the destruction of that temple was 14 high priests, and then from the destruction of that temple to the last high priest mentioned in Scripture was 14 high priests. So maybe maybe Matthew was just trying to get the Jews' attention. You know, look, 14 generations. This was an important number. Others, you know, they've tried to break that number down into... Uh, seven sevens, and you know Jesus is completing this seventh seven, and but Matthew never talks about that anywhere else in Scripture. Never gives any allusion to it. So again, this is something that I I, I was astounded. It's like did did you know that this was in here? I didn't know. But when you take David's name, the Jews. You have to remember, you know, we, we have the Bible right here in front of us. We can go out to the bookstore. We can go on Amazon, whatever, buy as many Bibles as we want. But in, you know, in the ancient times, these people had to memorize Scripture. I wish I could do that better, but they had to memorize Scripture. So they would use little tricks to memorize Scripture. And one of those tricks was called gematria. So they would take a, uh, a name or a Jewish word, and then they would convert each one of those letters into a number, like a code, okay? All of us in here have done this before, okay? So, you know, you've taken, you've written a note, uh, A is a 1, a B is a 2, C is 3, so on, so on, and turn that into a code. Now, when you do that to the Hebrew language, Guess whose name adds up to 14? I've mentioned him a few times here. Matthew really likes him. David. Yeah, I heard David. That's right. David's name. So when you write it in Hebrew, it has three letters. Four, six, four adds up to 14. Just another place. And it kind of fits with, with what Matthew is saying here in these 17 verses. A king like David, a king. Jesus is a king. So, you know, so here it says, and lastly, you know, Matthew indicates these 17 verses that the advent of Jesus Christ is a watershed event in the Jewish and world history. So this was an event that was ordered. It occurred just at the right time, just as God intended it to. It followed all the prophecies of the Old Testament revelation to the Jews. So in Abraham, you know, we had the promise of God given, but yet it wasn't distinctly fulfilled in in Isaac. In David, you know, we had, again, a promise was given, but it wasn't fulfilled, you know, in, in Solomon. 
you know, all seemed to be lost when the nation went into captivity in Babylon. But there are still, as Jeremiah, as we read there, a few outstanding promises and prophecy that Israel would emerge out of that captivity with a remnant loyal to God. And as David was a pinnacle king in that Old Testament kingdom, everything builds up to David and it goes down from David. He was the pinnacle king of the Old Testament and of the nation of Israel. So now Jesus is the pinnacle king of kings of that remnant in the growing New Testament kingdom. So David's earthly kingdom devolved into paganism and captivity. But as we will learn, this new king has a kingdom that is made up of those most unlikely people who are elevated above the corrupting influences of the earth. And his kingdom is one that will continue to grow and prosper despite the spiritual warfare waged against it. And just one more thing that I I want to look at here briefly. Matthew, he starts out his book, and it's translated here, you know, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek, it's just two words, biblos genesis. Okay, And the same phrase is found many times in the book of Genesis. Many times. And every time that it's mentioned, then you get a genealogy. You get a genealogy. You get a genealogy. So let's look at some of these genealogies that we see in the book of Genesis. We've got the genealogy of Cain. Okay, That's given in Genesis 4.17. So we have Cain's story, of course, is told... His genealogy is given, and do we ever hear of Cain really again in the Bible? No. His line ends. Immediately following that, Genesis 4.26, that genealogy is the genealogy of Seth through Adam. And that takes us all the way up to God's next great work in Noah. Then you've got in Noah, you've got the genealogy. Remember, he had three sons, Japheth, uh, Ham, and Shem. The Messiah is only going to come from one of those lines. So you've got the genealogy of Japheth and Ham in the 10th chapter, and then their stories end. And then you move on with the genealogy of Shem that takes us all the way up to Terah and to Abram. In Genesis, the 25th chapter, you get the genealogy of Ishmael. You know, truly the firstborn son of Abraham But you get his genealogy, and his genealogy and his line ends. And then you get, shortly thereafter, the genealogy of Isaac. And it leads into that next great work of God that he's doing through Jacob. Then you get the genealogy of Esau. And guess what? Esau's story and his line in the Bible, it ends. And then you go on from there, and you get the rest of the narrative of the Hebrew nation. So do you see the pattern here? You know, each time when we run into one of these genealogy, genealogy, one storyline, it ends, and we telescope to that next great working in God's redemptive history. So ultimately, here we are narrowing down towards that seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. You know, first we narrow down to all those who call on the name of God. Then, you know, we 
narrow down to an ethnicity, then a race, then a nation, then a family. Then what happens? Well, really nothing. There's just silence at that, that point, right? So this, the Old Testament, it ends the narrative story of Israel on this note. In Malachi 4.1 God gives a warning through His prophet that the day is coming that shall set them ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in His wings. Thus, there is another division in Malachi coming. You know, one that now is going to divide all of those who fear the name of the Lord and those who will not. You know, one group, God says, will be set ablaze, and the other will be healed. Then 400 years of silence. And then what do we get? Out of that silence, we have Matthew now. He's starting with those same two Greek words out of those genealogical sections. Biblos, Genesis. So the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew here, he's indicating that there's something remarkable happening. The old has ended and God's next great work has begun. And what a work it is. So as we see this develop, we will find that Christ is not just the king of a heavenly kingdom, but this is a growing kingdom. As you read forward, you're going to see the kingdom grow from 11 disciples, 12 apostles, and then to the Jews around Jerusalem, and then to Samaria, and then to the Gentiles in Judea, and then to Asia Minor, and then to Europe and beyond, and on and on and on and on. It grows. So as we conclude today, I want to just make a quick application of this. I'm closing. All right, so how can we apply this? Um, Let's consider these two verses. So Luke 10, 20. Jesus, you know, he sent out his disciples to uh, minister uh, on their own. He gave them, of course, you know, powers over the evil spirits and illnesses, and they came back rejoicing. And Jesus tells them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But he said, I'll tell you what to rejoice in. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Revelation 20, 12, it says, and and John's having this vision, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So here in light of Matthew, those first 17 verses of chapter 1, what do you think is being recorded in those books? Names of good people, you might say. Well, Jesus kind of ruins that theory. You know, he says that there are none good but God. That's exactly what he told the rich young ruler there, the psalmist tells us that. Paul tells us that there's none righteous. No, not one. But I want to take you back again to Jeremiah 23, that sixth verse. So remember, Jeremiah, he's speaking to the nation of Israel as they go 
towards uh, uh, Babylon. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. Then verse 6 says, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. That's what he'll be known by. That's what he'll be called. So thus, it is those that bear the name, the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus Christ who have their names written down in heaven. It's those who can have that righteousness before God. Christ's righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Not, I am my righteousness. My works are my righteousness. No, the Lord is my righteousness. And the only way to have His name is to be born into the family. To be born again. Does this genealogy look a little bit more important now? Because... The point here that I'm trying to make is this genealogy didn't end with the last name on that list. The question becomes is, is your name on that list? Have you been grafted into that genealogy? Can you claim Jesus Christ as your genealogy? I said there's many people, you know, they can trace their lineage back to the Mayflower. They can trace their lineage, oh, back to Ellis Island. I'd like to go there one of these days. But I don't know. New York's kind of crazy. Maybe you can trace your genealogy back to the old country, but are you a child of the king? So back in the days before country music went really crazy, there was a country music star and. Uh, When I preach this at Rocky Fork, they knew who Skeeter Davis was. I'm sorry, I don't know who Skeeter Davis is, but I like her song. She said, once I was clothed in the rags of my sin. You can come, Brother Justin. Wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings, in pity and love, took me under his wings. Oh, yes, oh, yes. I am a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I who was wretched and poor can now sing, Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! I'm a child of the king. So, I hope, hope somebody got something out of those 17 verses. Maybe... Maybe you'll look at them a little bit different. I know after I studied this, I look at those 17 verses a lot differently than I used to. They're more blessed to me now than they used to be. So, Jabir, Justin, you have a song or anything you want to sing? Or?